What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It is Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boga. That means it's another episode of Unpolished Therapy. We have ditched the couch. We've grabbed the mics. We are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage. And Dr. Boga, I've been doing my homework since last week. Not only are we breaking down the wreckage, but we are also making meaning out of mess. Uh, Right? Did I get that right? You did. And I want to hear how you're doing this. I'm so excited when you utilize some of the things that we talk about, Rach. I'm so proud of you. I am utilizing it. And as I mentioned last week, I'm not going to completely discard breaking down the wreckage because I love that line. But we are incorporating your hashtag, do it different. So that's another kind of cog in our wheel, right? That we're going to make meaning out of the mess. And today, I kind of want to just jump to it because we do have a little bit of a mess. We need to make some meaning out of. And you know, we've always said that little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems, right? Well, as we know, I mean, yesterday our kids were babies and all of a sudden, I don't know where the time has gone. They're not such babies anymore. But in keeping with one of the other tips we talked about last week that we want to like embrace the unpolished positivity, right? I don't want to look at this now, not a little kid and a little problem. I don't want to make the big kid a big problem. I've actually coined the phrase now, big kid, big project. Okay. Wow, that's a reframe. Right. We like We're a reframe. reframe that, right? That's my paradigm shift, right? Yeah. So little kid, little project, big kid big project, right? So what is this big project, pray tell? That is exactly what I was going to ask. So my little kid who's not a little kid anymore, we are now in the throes of college preparation. And (laughs) my goodness, I need a degree in just preparing to figure out how to prepare to get my kids to college. So I know I am not reinventing the wheel here. I am certainly not the first nor the last parent to have my head spinning and the wheels are now upside down. And a friend, but also certainly an expert in the field has been kind enough to join us today to kind of help us break down this wreckage or to your point last week, make some meaning out of the mess or the madness in this case that is college preparation and everything that goes into that. So I want to introduce Jen McKenzie, who is the founder and principal of Milestone College Prep. She is a Boca Raton native. She attended Florida Atlantic University. She earned her BA in English. She spent the first eight years of her career as a campus recruiter and certainly traveling extensively, interviewing candidates all throughout the country. In 2004, she did begin tutoring students for the SAT and ACT, which just Those letters alone, I'm already (laughs) having a hot flash, right? (laughs) And she did a lot of assisting with college essays and all that goes in the mix of that preparation. Because of the volume of all of her students and it grew just so rapidly, that's how Milestone was born. And I'm sure she'll tell us more about the back ends. But it's been nearly 20 years. She's established a a wonderful, wonderful practice here in Boca. She is really one of the top rated gurus, if you will, in the industry, specializing in SAT and AC. CT prep, tutoring, college advising, the whole gamut. I could go on and on. She's a vetted professional, the member of Independent Educational Consultant Association.
Alsatian. That's a lot of letters also after her name. (laughs) But she is someone who I truly do now point to for all of the knowledge and wisdom that I certainly don't have in this field. And I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to introduce Jen and let her speak for herself. Jen, thank you so much for joining us on the Corner of Audacity and Advice today. Hello, ladies. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I am excited to just jump in and start trying to make meaning out of the madness, which I think is a really accurate description of what we're in. And I'm in it with you right now, by the way, because I have a daughter who is a high school senior. So I am truly in the midst of the madness at the moment. And that's what I love about you, Jenna. Coincidentally to our listeners, when Rachel and I were planning for our guests this season, I just happened to mention that my daughter was starting with a college guide who's going to basically hold my hand through it and hold my daughter's hand through it. And it happened to be Jen. So when Rachel said that her son was using Jen, I was like, okay, you know, everybody loves Jen. And the reason, Jen, that at least from my personal experience, why everybody loves you is not only because you can relate having been and currently being in the process of college applications in your own personal life, but you have a calm about you that we as parents that are going through it don't always have. And there's something very reassuring from the way that you are with your clients, not only the students, but also the bigger messes, which tend to be the parents. So I'm just starting the process. And I know Rachel's more in the throes of it than I am. But we are so, so happy to have you here. And yes, let's break down all of this mess, please. Well, I appreciate that's the best compliment you can give me. Thank you so much for that. And that is actually what I strive to do. And it's funny when you talk about my bringing calm to the process, that is actually what I see as my primary responsibility. I think when people think about college advisors and they've seen the stories all over the news about the William Singers and, you know, college advisors who charge a fortune and their job is to get kids into college, I think that doesn't necessarily paint a very accurate portrayal of what I do, what so many of my colleagues do, which is really to help students find fit, to help parents navigate this process and still maintain some semblance of a great relationship with their kid. Mm -hmm. I sometimes joke around, I'm like, my title should really just be buffer, right? Because I'm there to just sort of help maintain the familial relationship during this really stressful time. So I appreciate that you see that. And then hopefully I can demystify the process a little bit, or at least try to explain some of what is going on, because I feel like maybe the, the most common and most dangerous kind of misconception in this whole process is that parents and students feel like they have more control over it than they actually do. I mean, there are parts of the process that we have control over, but there's a lot of it that we don't. And I think when students and parents can understand that and can accept that reality, it makes for much better outcomes. So that's the goal. I love your goal. And as you were talking about your calmness and keeping things in the buffer zone and that the word control, I think those are the three (laughs) top things that would probably make me the world's worst college advisor. (laughs) So thank God I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I definitely need a buffer because my kid and I are already butting heads. I am 
hardly calm. I'm a lot of things, but calm is not one of them. And control, I have a serious issue with control. So there is that. And Rachel, that's why I'm so glad you're going first, because when Jen can survive you, I will look like a cakewalk. So thank you for that. So let me just jump in a little bit. I know, and we're going to do the broad stroke, but just to sort of break down some nuggets here with Milestone, you know, you have these three key kind of components, Jen, explore, engage, empower. Like real quick, the Cliff Note version, you don't have to do like the Harvard University explanation. We can go community college version. Totally. (laughs) Can you give us a sentence each of like what that really means to kind of broaden it out for us? Well, I think just to encapsulate it, I think our goal in Milestone is to really help students own the process. The process of exploring colleges, thinking about beyond just the name of the school that they hope to attend, thinking a little more deeply about what they want their experience to be like. What is their purpose, their greater purpose? We want them starting to engage with these ideas a little bit. And ultimately, we want them to take accountability for this process. It's not, they come in and they sit down and they tell me, these are the schools I want to apply to. And hey, can you do my application? (laughs) And, you know, I'm going to sit back and relax while you do that. We really want them to take responsibility because at the end of the day, the goal is, and we take this very seriously, our goal is to help prepare them to be successful in the next phase of their life. I always joke around that I'm not going to let their parents go to college with them. So they have to figure it out before they graduate high school. What's interesting about that, and I will put on my vulnerability hat right now, right? I've done it many times before. And this is now another chapter in the book of parenting that I either didn't read or it was in Chinese and I didn't pass the class. Myself as a parent has turned into the parent I never thought I would be, right? Mm -hmm. When my kids were younger, little kids, again, you know, little problems or the projects as we're being positive. And I just, I would look at these other parents who were going through this college process and I would roll my eyes or I just couldn't believe that they would make such a production out of something that just seemed, I guess, to me, just so far off that I couldn't relate to. And I kind of made this internal commitment to myself, like, oh my God, I am definitely not going to be that parent. I just, there's no way. And here I am sitting in the seat where like what's coming out of my mouth, I want to say the driver's seat, but that is a complete contradiction to what Jen is saying that, no, I'm not in the driver's seat. My kid is in the driver's seat. I'm riding shotgun, but you go all these years of being a parent, right? For the last 17, 18 years. And for me, me, at least, my goals looking back have been to do whatever I can to cultivate their character, right? To give them the building blocks that they need to make intelligent choices so they can forge their own path and I can help them pave a way that they're stable enough to kind of achieve success and make it in the real world. And yet I'm the one I think that doesn't know how to let go. And that's where that buffering comes into play. Am I right on this? Yes. And and I certainly, I know it's a process, right? So I certainly can relate to what you're saying because I'm experiencing it in my own household. It's a process. I mean, you still have some time, right? You're not sending them off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I do think as we get going with the process, 
even early when they start in eighth and ninth grade, I always tell the students, I give them access to, you know, a portal, a communication tool. And I really encourage them to reach out to me directly. You know, I'll say, I love talking to your parent, but at the end of the day, I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to own the process. I want you to get comfortable making difficult decisions, doing the work that needs to be done because you need to invest in your future. But I hear what you're saying. I know it's hard. And I want to just put out there, Rach, obviously this is hard, right? I don't think you're hitting anything that none of us parents living in the environments that we all live in. And whether it was for basketball or whether it was for later on, you know, if they made a club that someone else did in or they got selected by the principal for something. And it just like was one thing on top of another that we tried not to be those parents, but there was like that inner pull that we wanted for our child. And I think a big part of it is we never want our child to be disappointed or not get what it is that we've raised them to have these characters, to work hard, persevere, be high achievers, be successful. And we've always said, whatever, you know, whatever you put your mind to, you can have, but that's almost a misnomer, right? Because there is this process that Jen, I'm sure you're going to tell us about that seems very, like you mentioned a little while ago, that there is control over, but the reality is there is no control over it, especially now. And what I would like to say is I've just watched it with my own child going through this. You know, one of the questions I always have is how early do we start? And people look at me that I reached out to you, Jen, when my kid was going into high school, right? And I was like, is this too early? Am I that crazy one? Right. But what I've actually loved about the process so far is that Jen and I, we haven't had no contact. Zero. And that's the best part. Not that I don't adore you, Jen, but I love that my child is reaching out to you for those questions. And so I can speak to how helpful that is to instill in the child early. So Rachel, breathe a little bit through this process, as I'm sure Jen will attest to. Your son will be way more productive on the other side once he winds up wherever he's going to be. So I just want to get into some of these questions because I think, again, these are universal, right? If we just start to break it down, the process of college, the business in and of itself of getting into college is a business. Now, maybe it always was, but we were kids and we didn't know. Now, on the other side is the parent. It just seems it's like one of these things where it's like, don't hate the player, hate the game. Jen, Mm -hmm. what changed from then to now. We're not talking about that many decades ago, but it just seems as though how these colleges are measuring success is different. How the kids are getting into college is different. What's required is different. And I mean, I could keep going and going with what's all different, but why don't you kind of take the stage a little bit and kind of fill us in a little? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think when you look at just the numbers, the numbers of students who are applying, that has raised the bar significantly. You have more students applying. You have students who have greater access to college-level classes, honors classes, AP classes, dual enrollment. When I was growing, I went to high school here, I joke around, I think I knew one or two people who took an AP class in high school. You know, it just wasn't really what you did. But now these classes are available. There's an expectation that students will be taking them. And just with the numbers of applicants who are applying, so now globalization has impacted college admissions because you have so many more international students applying. And you have technology, the Common App, which Mm -hmm. has made it possible to apply to 20 schools in a much 
much easier way than it, it was when we applied. I remember having my heart set on going to a particular school and then I got the paper application <laughs> in the mail and it was 15 pages long. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> That's not happening. So, you know, Common App has really streamlined the process. So I think all of that has increased the number of applications. And then also keep in mind, back in the day when we were applying, colleges were not the marketing machines they are now. The millions of dollars that colleges spend on marketing literature, you'll, if you haven't already, ladies, you will start heading to your mailbox and you will see every day, mm-hmm. you know, college flyers, postcards appearing. And that is all designed to drive application numbers. And it is a business. I like that you use that term. I think it's really important for parents and students alike to understand that it is a business. What drives this business, and this, you could get me on a, I won't go on a rant about it, but the US News and World Ranking drives Mm -hmm. this business. And the rankings are very flawed. But suffice it to say that one of the big sort of data points in the U.S. News and World Ranking is acceptance rate, right? So the more Mm -hmm. that colleges drive up the number of students who apply, the more they can reject, the lower the acceptance rate, the higher the U.S. News and World Ranking. So I do think that it's really important for people to understand that there are a lot of business implications here. And it's really not a meritocracy, Mm -hmm. Um, And I I know we're going to probably talk more about that when we get into talking about specific criteria and qualifications. But I think those have been some of the factors that have really changed the environment. Back when we were applying to college, Harvard's acceptance rate, which at the time was very low, but it was in the 20s, 25 (laughs) or so percent acceptance rate. Now it's 4%. That's a real testament, I think, to how the numbers have changed. The business of college and this ranking that you're talking about, would that play into why certain colleges or universities, for that matter, whereas years ago they might have been easy to get into, now fast forward two decades, all of a sudden they're much more difficult. The difficulty level has increased. Is there a correlation? Because without naming names, I can rattle off a handful of schools that a plant could have gotten into (laughs) when we were younger, right? And now all of a sudden, my mind is blown at the competitiveness to get into these said colleges and universities. Is that the correlation? Just what you were talking about? Yes, definitely. Interesting. So I have a question along these same lines. So it, it's gotten more competitive, at least on the books. It looks more competitive um, because schools are driving the numbers in certain ways through their marketing and because it's a business and more people are applying. So I think we all know those kids, what would be said to be perfect applicants, right? Like the one who's like valedictorian and has taken like 846 AP classes and dual enrolled and has two jobs and has like cured cancer and all of these fabulous things. And they're not getting into these schools. And like, I know me, I'm like, my mind is blown. I'm like, holy crap, they're not getting in. I love my kid and my kid is really smart, but there's no fucking way my kid's getting into anything, right? So what are they really looking at at this point? Like, what do they want? Well, I think before we address that question, I think that brings me to one of the other 
points that I would make, which is we seem as a society, I think what has changed is now all of a sudden we are putting so much importance on an education from an elite private institution. You know, there are thousands of amazing colleges in this country. And yet, you know, we talk about kids with all of these qualifications not getting in. They're not getting into maybe 50 schools. The vast majority of colleges in this country accept more than 50% of their applicants. But we as a society tend to really focus on just sort of those most what we consider prestigious universities. And I thought this was so interesting. I heard this from a colleague recently. He asked me, do you know what the origin of the word prestige is? And I said, I have no idea. He said, it's French for deceit. Mm. And I thought ah, that was interesting. Wow. Did he learn that at an Ivy League college? Is that why he knows that? <laughs> the origin of prestige is deceit. Wow. We should all take a minute and kind of meditate on that for a second. Right. Jen, if I can jump in, and, and I want to let you finish on that, but back to me being a hog here with the microphone, <laughs> I want to just go back to when you were talking about like the fact that it's like the acceptance rate and this globalization situation and how years ago, a school that was very easy to get into now seemingly is much more difficult. But if we peel the onion back on that even more, my question is just because it's that much more difficult to get into, does it mean it is a better school? Because let's face it, we all went to college. I took tennis in college. I'm embarrassed to say that. Okay. And I went to a really good school, but I want to kind of talk about the parallel or the lack thereof, the difficulty level of getting into a school. And I guess we'll keep the IVs and the baby IVs over here, but for the masses in comparison to how good of a school it is, what type of education are they getting for a school that the difficulty level you're pulling your hair out to try to get into? Well, I think that's a great point. And that's what's so frustrating for me as a college advisor is sort of trying to, I guess, recalibrate some parents' mindsets about this because there are so many amazing colleges. Prior to COVID, I used to travel to 10 or so of them a year. And no matter what the acceptance rate was, I found myself walking away from every college thinking, wow, this place has so much to offer, so many great opportunities. I'm a big believer that students are going to be successful where they're happy. They'll thrive where they're happy. So, you know, you don't have to have a low acceptance rate, a 4% acceptance rate to be a place where a student can thrive. So no, there is not a any sort of direct correlation between the low acceptance rate, the selectivity of the school, and the quality of education. And in fact, I would say there's some pretty strong data to support that in some cases, a student is actually better off going to a slightly less selective school, being the big fish in that Uh, moment. Yes. Particularly if you know, you have a child who wants to go on to graduate school. It's really important. They're actually at a school where they can sort of be at the top of their class, where they can find opportunities for research. They're not competing with all of the top kids. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, um, David and Goliath. He actually Mm -hmm. talks about this in chapter three, specifically as it relates to college. There's a lot of data there to support that. So I actually think sometimes being at a most selective school can be a detriment. So I love that you said that. And I want our 
our audience and listeners to really take that in also. And the prestige thing was awesome, but I think this one is so relatable for all of us is that the college that they go to doesn't define them, right? And sometimes as a mental health professional, I always look at let's find the right fit for our kid and not the right fit for the parents, right? There, It is a mind shift here and the parents have to own that, that we're not vicariously living through our children. But being a big fish in a small pond, there is something for self-confidence, self-worth, comfort, motivation, opportunities. And I would love for people outside uh, in these high SES areas or these more high achieving areas for us to really wrap our head around it. A successful child or, you know, adolescent in college, if they can prove to themselves that they can do it and they can get out of there and be successful, that is ultimately what's going to drive them to success in the future because that confidence and that self-worth and that achievement is something that they're going to be holding on to. If they go to those bigger, what they consider higher status, higher achievement The shiny schools, penny yes, or the name brand. The name brand. The designer. Like, exactly. And try to keep up with the Joneses. I have seen, having worked in college counseling centers and worked with families that are going through this process, I've seen the detriment that it does to a child's self-esteem. Just because they got in, you got to also be able to stay in. And I can't tell you on all of these Facebook boards that I'm on or messaging boards or whatever they are, how anxious, alone, depressed, sad, substance use. I mean, whatever it is, how all these parents are complaining about it. So I think it's such an important point to drive home that there is a college out there for everybody. And let's be honest about what your child needs, wants, is capable of, and desires to be successful. So thank you, Jen, for saying that. I really appreciate it. No, and I appreciate you reinforcing it because I do think sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect. First of all, I want to say that, I mean, I know every parent that sits in my office is well-intentioned. They love their children and they want to do best by their children. But I think sometimes we as parents don't always realize how our messaging comes across or Mm -hmm. how things that we're saying might be interpreted by our children. So I hear parents say a lot in my office. Well, I want her to apply to these schools because she deserves it. Mm. That's some dangerous language because as sure. you know, you know, we don't get in life what we always deserve. Mm. You know, I might be guilty of that. As you said that, I kind of got like a shard of glass in my chest because I feel like I, I could be one of those parents. Like I just want my kids to just have everything that I have always aspired that they should have. It, it's more about the opportunity that mm-hmm. I want them to just see the world and the world in this case as defined by a college or a university to have that experience and to not necessarily just do what everybody else is doing and follow the path. I want them to be in front of the pact and explore and, and have that opportunity. So I probably am guilty of that. And I would imagine my messaging is unpolished to say the least. I think it does come in my therapy and now my non-therapy, which this is a great time to just point in. This is not real therapy, folks, even though it really sounds like it today between Jen and Dr. Boca. I'm just taking it all in. But we do want to protect the license of Dr. Boca. And we do also want to protect Jen and her expertise that, you know, this isn't one size fits all. There is a college for everyone, thank goodness. But we are just talking broad stroke here. But I do think my messaging probably is 
horrific and I should work on that. So that's going to be one of my takeaways. What I gathered from what you said, Jen, and what you said, Dr. Boca, it seems as though the pressure, again, we're the product of our environment, right? We only know what we know. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we know what we're taught. It starts in the house. I wonder, and Jen, you can speak to this a little bit. I think you kind of alluded. Are the parents the one making the mess here? Because the kids, like, what do they know, right? It kind of bothers me when people say to me, oh, well, where does he want to go to school? Does he know what he wants to do? I feel the pressure because I'm 50. I don't know what I want to do yet. So I don't even know how to answer that. And then my walls go up. I get all insecure. I get all worked up. My blood pressure starts to rise. And and then I come home and I'm like, Ben, what do you want to do when you grow up? How how do you know where you want to go to school? Can you speak to that a little bit? It sounds like maybe parents like me are screwing up the process before the process even gets started. So just so you know, if I had heard you say that in my office, I would have called you out on it immediately. I would have done okay. it in a nice way. But I, so I, I think you're safe. I don't think you actually said that in my office. Okay, good. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, no, I think, first of all, there's a lot of societal pressure and parents feel that. And I think when you live in certain communities, there's just a lot of sort of innate pressure, certain high schools, yeah. right? The parents and kids feel it. So I certainly don't blame the parents. But I do think that we have to be careful as parents. I even, you know, my friends know I've given them a hard time in the past when I've seen them dressing their kids in certain college t-shirts at a very young age. You know, Um, even that starts to send a message that this is the expectation. Or I hear parents say a lot, I'm only willing to pay for certain colleges. Mm. Right. So again, it's of course, you're well-intentioned, and but what is your kid taking away from that? Because what I don't ever want a student to feel, and I know a parent doesn't want a student to feel like a failure, that if they haven't achieved their parents' idea of you know acceptance into a particular college, that that is a failure, specifically because they don't have control over that outcome, right? So I'll sometimes say to parents, and it's not a perfect analogy, but I'll say, you know, think about this. If your child bought a lottery ticket and didn't win, and they said, I feel like a failure, you would say that is ridiculous. That is absurd. You have no control over that. I mean, sure, you can decide where you buy the ticket. You can choose your numbers. You can decide how many tickets you buy. But after that, it is out of your control. And yet we don't have that same mindset when it comes to colleges. And it is the same thing. Well, it's interesting that that you use that analogy because when Dr. Boca was saying earlier, and we all know, again, don't hate the player, hate the game. It's become the rigor and the the game and the business of just getting into school. It actually seems like it's just as difficult to get into school as it is to win the lottery. And I know we're going to touch on that before I forget, and you, you can kind of throw this in whenever you want, but I don't want to lose my thought process when you were talking about when a parent says, I would only pay for this type of school or so on and so forth. I want to put that in the same column, if I'm correct now, into thinking that when we were talking earlier about a college or university that used to be easy and now it's more difficult because of all of the numbers and the globalization, et cetera. I wonder too, do we just assume as a society that the more expensive the school is, it means it's that much better? I mean, is there a fallacy with that? Again, maybe Ivy League aside, which that's a whole other topic, but in general, are you seeing a correlation? The more expensive the school, that means it's you're getting a better education? 
I don't know that I see that so much because I think you can even look at some of the most competitive public universities that have very mm-hmm. low acceptance rates and they're, you know, they can be almost half the price of an elite private institution. And there's still just sort of as much demand around those schools. So I don't know that I would necessarily um, say the cost has to do with quality. Can you, for the listeners out there who maybe have kids younger or even maybe even for like the grandparents who forgot about all of this, what is the difference between public and private college and university? First of all, you have public colleges, public universities, I should say, and those are within each state has multiple public universities. Um, And we'll just talk about costs to give them some frame of reference. So for in-state students, depending on the state, the cost could be anywhere from about $25,000 a year to $45,000 a year. For out-of-state students, it could be anywhere from about forty dollars to $60,000 a year. For private institutions, the ones I think the brand names that we know about, and I'm not talking about smaller private regional institutions, but you're looking really, for the most part, at costs that range between seventy now, seventy dollars to $85,000 a year cost of attendance, which includes tuition, fees, room and board, everything. So it's gotten pretty expensive. The cost of college has increased exponentially at a much faster rate than any other part of the United States economy. And I could sit here and argue this. Yes, the price has increased. What are we getting for that increase in money, right? And we can argue that, and I I don't want to, but I'm just saying, you know, this this is getting a little bit ridiculous. Well, I do want, I don't want to argue about it, but just, I mean, give me a broad stroke. What what is someone getting for $80,000 that That someone who's getting, who's paying $25,000 is not getting? What is different about that? And what are they getting for $80,000 that years ago would have been $35,000, right? What changed? I know our economy has increased, but like what really in the quality of the education has increased? Or Unless with their four-year degree, they're getting walking papers into a Fortune 500 company and they have a guaranteed spot and they have a trajectory, which I highly doubt. So Jen, right. what do you think the answer is? Well, I think some of it, you know, the facilities have improved and that is actually part of sort of colleges compete, right? They're competing for students, for athletes, for that those top spots. And so there's some pressure on the institutions to continue to, to funnel money into their facilities. So that may be one of the differences. But what I think is so interesting is we talk about how competitive college has gotten. And that is really just for those sort of most selective name brand universities. In actuality, College admissions across the board, when you look at all institutions, has actually gone down. I think there was a 2021 article in The Atlantic that I read recently that in 2021, college applications were down about 1.5 million, or I should say enrolled students were down about 1.5 million. So while we look at these colleges sort of at the high end or the top end of the selectivity scale, they're in a very different situation than less selective colleges some of which are starting to close because now there's not enough enrollment to support them. So it's an interesting dichotomy. 
Yeah. And going back to what your initial point was, which which was the globalization, which was bringing in the competition. The truth is a lot of kids are choosing not to go to college at this point, because I've read a similar article that a lot of a very high percentage, particularly after COVID, are choosing not to go into college or they're going to vocational and technical schools instead because they feel like the return on their investment is much more significant. So I still sit here and I say, okay, so obviously these prices are going up because they have less students that are enrolling in the process. So they have to sustain and stay open. But what are they getting? What are these students getting that's really that different than when they were $35,000 versus the seventy dollars or $80,000 that they are now? So again, that's like an aside conversation that I think, though, from a consumer perspective, is just something that our audience and listeners should acknowledge that we are aware of and think about. And it does kind of turn things a little bit upside down when you start to think about, okay, how elite do we have to go really to get our return on investment? And I also just want to jump in too, relative to the admissions being down or even applications for that matter, in addition to vocation and things of that nature, how about just the fact that like the technology has blown up so much that our kids are seeing teenagers who are YouTube stars or they're online entrepreneurs or an influencer. When we were growing up, those words didn't even exist. And now kids who seemingly we had thought were on this path to college, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, maybe that's just what society has said. That's how their parents were raised. Of course, you're going to grow up. You're going to go to high school. You're going to go to college and then on with your life, right? Now we have this shift because these kids think that success does not always have to start with a college degree. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. But it's just interesting because when you look at and you read these articles and you see that data, it is so at odds with kind of our experience based on where we live right now. And so I think it's important to share it because, you know, it's, I think perspective is really necessary. It's really a necessary tool to get through this process with some degree of sanity. And I would argue it's probably the reality check piece of all of this is probably the biggest thing to get through this because I think we do have to change our mindset as parents. And even so much as when we went through the process, my parents didn't have a flying fig Newton what I was doing. I wrote my personal statement. I took my SATs. I figured out what I had to do. I checklisted. I did. And I submitted. And if they, all they did was write the check that I, you know, the $100 check on. My app, right, that I clipped on. <laughs> And I sent to my schools, right? They had no part in this. And here we are. Maybe we were that generation who desired more input from our parents, but careful what you wish for, because now we're giving it to our children. And maybe there's something to be said about, like, Jen, how you facilitate it. Like, let my children or let the children take control of their college experience and we should back off because we didn't have our parents doing it. And I think all three of us turned out just fine maybe unpolished, but we are fine. We are good and we have raised good human beings. So I just wanted to also put that out there. But I do have a question going back to these public and private universities. Having Living in Florida, we are blessed with a amazing public university system here. And there are so many 
opportunities for our students to get scholarship. Um, you know, we have our bright futures and we have um, opportunities for this, this ACE diploma and the AP classes and dual enrollment and blah, blah, blah. And I don't even know the half of it. Is that common in other states? Does it mean anything if a student is applying to another state coming from a Florida school system or vice versa? Does it translate to anything? So yay, they were so successful and they got the bright futures. What the hell does that mean if they wind up not going to a Florida school? Well, there are a few states, not many. I think there's maybe nine or 10 other states that have, you know, like prepaid programs like we do in Florida, where you can sort of lock in tuition. And there's a few states, Georgia, a neighboring state has like a a Bright Futures equivalent. For those who may not know, the Bright Futures scholarship is based on certain criteria, GPA and test scores. And if your child earns Bright Futures at the highest level, it actually pays 100% of the tuition bill at a Florida public university. If they earn the lower level, it's 75% at a Florida public university. And then you can also apply those funds to private schools in Florida. But any bright futures money cannot leave the state. So unfortunately, it's not transferable to out-of-state schools. Florida prepaid is, but you're not going to cover the tuition elsewhere. You can just sort of chip away at it. How come there's so few states that provide these type of opportunities in all the states in our country versus more states wanting to try to promote whatever their in-house educational system is? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I actually, I don't have an answer to it. It has a lot to do with their board of governors and, you know, their state legislatures. But we are very fortunate here. And in fact, I use the term, I feel like we have golden handcuffs because Mm -hmm. we have wonderful universities And for high achieving students, especially if you have Florida prepaid, between Florida prepaid and Bright Futures, and then our Florida universities give scholarship on top of that to high achievers. So I actually know students who pocket spending money every semester. So I think it can be really hard to justify the expense to go out of state for undergrad. We are fortunate here. Mm. So two comments to that. One is I was that kid who had the free ride and my parents like begged me to go to a Florida school and I didn't. And I had the prepaid and like I was literally getting money paid to me to put in my pocket. And the dumb schmuck that I was, I went out of state. I had a great experience. It was awesome. But yes, there is something to be said about staying in a great school system and not paying for college. So I get it. It's it's a double-edged sword. But as that kid, I wanted to go and I was going out of state. So I appreciate where that puts the child in that predicament. Um, but you're we're all so lucky Dr. Boca, that you even had that as an option that someone was willing to foot the bill for you to go out of state. Absolutely. And I picked what was at that time a relatively inexpensive state school in another state. Nowadays, that same university, if we're going by how competitive it is to get in there and the cost, I look like a freaking genius, okay? Because it was one of those schools that like, it was a checklist application and you were getting in there. And now I feel like, oh my God, my diploma means the world, right? Well, that's why I also feel that like you talk about perception being reality, that people think the harder the school is to get into, that that equates to how intellectually challenged they're going to be. And that's the part that kind of drives me insane. The other thing that drives me insane that I want to jump to, and I know that there's so much meat and potatoes here. I don't know that we can get to the whole meal, but I do think it's important to mention 
attention relative to this perception and reality and the mental health piece as well and the difficulty and the pressure that the kids have to even do the work that's required to get into these schools to then hear that they're not even accepted the dreaded, okay, drum roll, right? These standardized testing. When we were growing up, I, I assume that it was just the SAT. I've never heard of ACT until I became a parent of a teenager. Jen, what I'm going to ask just out of the gate, we know, yes, there's a college for everyone. We know where you go to college does not define you. And it certainly doesn't define how successful you're going to be on a go forward. We also know as parents that we want to set our kids up to be as successful as they possibly can and successful as defined by mentally being sound and secure with who they are and the confidence that they know that they can soar. But why, I ask you, why do these schools require and some schools do not require something as so narrow as these standardized tests that really in the grand scope of life don't mean anything? Please speak to that a little bit. Okay. So we live in one of the few states that where our public university system requires tests. We never went test optional. I think that's a product of a couple of things. I think one, it's, you know, when you look at the size of our schools and the number of applications that they have to get through, it gives them an extra data point. While I agree with you that testing does not define students, there is an argument that standardized testing does help in terms of kind of assessing grade inflation, mm-hmm. right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a can be a great equalizer. So I think that's part of the reason in Florida. I also think that because test scores are tied to bright future scholarship and right. you need for that scholarship, they need data points. Mm. So right or wrong, I think that's why we've maintained test score requirements in Florida. Now, if you look at around the country, there are now a few schools that are back to requiring test scores. MIT comes to mind. And, you know, they say it's because from what they've seen, there is a correlation between students' high test scores and their ability to do the work at MIT. So they've taken the data and they've decided that that's their stance. I do think, though, that there are going to be many, many, many colleges, probably most colleges that will be test optional, perhaps permanently, but certainly for quite a while. Because I think while you look at liberal arts colleges, actually many of them were test optional even before COVID. They have the bandwidth to do a more holistic review. They've had great success in building a class that a successful class on a test optional basis. So I think a lot of the liberal arts colleges will remain test optional. I think the larger universities, we're going to see them adding test scores back into their requirements just because they have so many tens of thousands of applicants to evaluate and they need the data. So you, there's so many questions that I have just in what you said. The first one is test optional. If mm-hmm. you're going to apply to a school that's test optional, is it really fucking optional? That's a great question. So I actually put schools into sort of two buckets. Okay. There's the true test optional schools. And, and I think you can tell what schools those are based on, you know, the data. Are they accepting test optional students at the same rate that they're accepting test submitters, right? If is there about, data on that? There, For some schools, there is, yes. So it's, you know, if it's about 50-50, if it's fairly equal, I would say that is truly a test optional school. Mm-hmm. And then you have schools that I would put in the public relations 
bucket. Ah, They are test optional because everybody else was going test optional, but they don't really want to see. see Yeah. Yeah. They don't really want to see see the scores. And I'm just going to interrupt again to say that if your kid has a really great score, why Why wouldn't wouldn't you want to show them how great your score is? Yes. But what's happening now though, is that because it's only the highest scores getting submitted, when you look at some of these middle 50% ranges, they look really distorted. I mean, there is one Mm -hmm. school I can think of that is a good school. I mean, you know, 20, it's a great school, 20% acceptance rate or so 25%. And they've now told students don't submit anything below a 34 ACT, which is insane. It's near perfect. So basically, they're saying, don't, don't submit anything that isn't almost perfect. And is that for their own ego, for their own globalization numbers and what they can put out and show the world, right? Correct. Again, it's all about the data points that go into And and that stirs me so badly, right? It pisses me off because, you know, here we are sitting here advocating and promoting mental health. and, And this is like the buzzword of the century, which Yay, I'm so glad that we're paying attention to it. But are we really paying attention to it when you're setting these kids up to have to be near perfect to, you know, to prove to the university because of their optics that we're going to disregard all the implications that it might have on the student and all the stress that it might cause. But we're going to tell you that you can only submit the scores if you're near perfect and you're only going to get in if you're near perfect. I mean, it's such a setup for these kids and their and their well-being, and it just, it breaks my heart. And at some point, as parents, we need to, and as a, and as a country, we need to kind of say, stop it. Let's get off the stupid hamster wheel here, and let's not support it anymore and support that process because you're talking out of, excuse the expression, both ends of your ass. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for a hot second. I need to know to our listeners who are dying probably to know the answer to this, you know, as Rachel said, we really didn't take the ACTs, although we had an option to take them. How do you determine if your child should take an SAT or an ACT? Is there like a quick and dirty like checklist that you can kind of do? Well, I generally recommend trying to take some sort of a baseline test. Most of the schools give a PSAT and the PSAT Mm -hmm. is pretty similar. The length is a little shorter. The scale is a little different than the SAT, but the content is is pretty close. So they can use a PSAT. They can either find a company like us or a local company to administer an ACT baseline. And if that's not a possibility, there are ACT tests that can be found on like the ACT.org website. You can print that out and administer it. And then there are scales online, um, concordance scales. So you kind of see, okay, did my son or daughter perform much better on one test than the other? If they're similar, did they have a preference? Because they're different tests. Yeah. SAT is more critical reasoning based. There's actually more math. I mean, the math on the SAT accounts for 50% of the score. On ACT, it's only 25% of the score, but there's some higher level math. So there's some distinctions there to consider. The other thing that's coming up, which we could probably do a whole hour just on this, but the SAT is going to be going digital for 2025. Oh, I'm sweating. So that'll kind of also throw a wrench into it because now we'll be considering is a computer format better than a pen and paper Mm -hmm. format because ACT is going to stay pen and paper. Interesting. So that'll be sort of one of the other considerations 
to make. In fact, this upcoming PSAT in October will be given digitally. Wow. I have to tell you, in, in the, on the front end of this conversation, I knew in my head that if I had to apply to college now, I would never get in. At the end of this hour, I am saying out loud, I know for a fact I would never be able to get into <laughs> college now. There's a lot of information and it can be overwhelming. And we're so lucky that we have someone like you that can help us break this down and make meaning from the madness and the mess and, and the whole college process. Jen, do you have clients nationwide or just here in Florida? Can people reach you we all do over? Have clients. We do. We work over Zoom. We're very comfortable over Zoom. Our company, the company is Milestone College Prep, and and we have a website. You can go check it out. And I would just say, you know, sort of in closing, because I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And I think sometimes when parents and families hear this, and and it's like the dark side of college admissions, right? Which I don't know if that makes them feel any <laughs> better or worse or what. But I think it's really important as you support your children, not even through the college process, but just as they grow and develop as teens to just really encourage them to challenge themselves, but don't sacrifice sleep. Don't sacrifice your mental health. You don't have to do that. Challenge yourself to the, to the best of your ability. I think it's really important to pay attention to if your kids are able to what, you know, what they're able to handle, because if you have a child who's melting down every night in the middle of the kitchen, and we all know kids like that. Maybe we mm-hmm. have kids like that. It's too much. And it's time to really reevaluate. I think encouraging our kids to find a few things that they really enjoy doing and encourage them to do to do those things with consistency and with commitment um, and with passion. As parents, we can do that. We can encourage that versus always thinking about doing things to build a line item on a resume. You know, I think just encourage authenticity. And if you do those things as a parent, I promise you, no matter what happens, you're going to have a happy, successful young person on your hands. That was my favorite part is really that, like I said, as somebody who watches this all the time, to see a child be successful in life is so much more important than what school they wind up with. This is a moment in time. And if we set them up to fail now, it's just a downward spiral from that point on. And we just need to build those kids up to just find what, you know, what aligns with self for themselves and what makes them feel successful and passionate. And they're going to be successful regardless. So I hope our listeners are hearing that not only from me, but from someone who's way more skilled at this and has been through this ringer, both as a parent and now again doing it as a parent and working with thousands and thousands of college-bound kids. Jen, thank you for saying it. And thank you for all that you're doing because I know just for my own well-being coming up and watching Rachel go through this process and dozens and dozens dozens of other people locally. We need you. We need you. And and we understand that it is a gift to have you. And we are grateful and appreciative of everything that you're doing. So thanks. Thank you very much for saying that. And I also do want to just let um, your listeners know, we actually have resources on the website as well, lots of webinars and blogs. So I would encourage them, you know, even if they're not in a position to use a private counselor, to feel free to tap into those resources. 
Love Jen, that. we're going to link everything on the bottom of our pages and we'll make sure that our listening audience knows how to reach you. What I'm going to end with is I took a little note here. You joked a little tongue in cheek. You said the dark side of college admissions. I'm going to change that. I'm going to do another paradigm shift. Wow. I'm going to be unpolishedly positive and I'm going to call it the unpolished side of college admissions. I actually think that might be the title of this podcast, right? Love it. Because we do, we want to stay in check ourselves parents. And then that is how it trickles down to our children. And we want to stay positive and optimistic. And everything you both said, I could parrot back. And I won't do it nearly as eloquently as either of the two of you. So I'm just going to stick with the fact that we've now sort of broken down the wreckage. We've made some meaning out of the madness that is the unpolished side of college admissions with Jen McKenzie, who is the founder and CEO of Milestone College Prep. And I cannot say thank you enough for spending your time with us here this morning. And from Dr. Broke, and myself. We're eternally grateful. We will link all of the data and information to your website, Jen, accordingly. And they can find you also on Facebook and Instagram and all of the social media platforms too, correct? Yes, correct. Dr. Boca, final thoughts? As unpolished as this process is, I loved having listened and shared these moments and these little bit of what we call pinpoints or the unpolished pinpoints because I think that it has calmed me down. I think these are things that we all know. And if we can step outside of the picture frame, we can actually see the whole picture. But when you're in it, you sometimes lose perspective. And so I thank you for like getting us out of the picture frame, looking at the whole thing in totality. I have a million more questions that I'm sure our listeners have. And maybe at some point, we'll have you back on to go over some of those. But really, this has been a grounding type of conversation. And I hope our listeners found it to be as well. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you both. So that's going to wrap it for us today. As I always say, on the corner of audacity and advice, where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. We are thrilled to be here. This has been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Dr. Boca, thank you for sharing your time. Jen, thank you for sharing your time. Listeners out there can email us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at unpolished therapy. If our Twitter presence is any indication of how we're getting into college, we're not getting into college because we have no presence there whatsoever. There's no demonstrated interest right, (laughs) on Twitter, but we are untherapy on Twitter. So that's going to do it. We'll see you next week, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. This has been Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca for Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>